Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. Okay, so we're going to read, uh, start uh, the lesson by reading in Judges chapter 7, and we will start in verse 1. Uh, then Jerubel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you, and any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, to his tent, but retained the three hundred men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley." So Gideon is a he is a reluctant leader. He is the one who who God has convinced several times to be a leader. Michael, do you remember this? Right? He's 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 very reluctant. He is the one he's scared. Um he is he's the one Gideon is the one who needs reassurance repeatedly and now and now standing on the eve of this battle God says to Gideon, "You've got too many soldiers. Your army, your army's too big." God tells him in, in verse 3, in verse 3, he says, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. 22,000 of the people leave. Um, that means that 22,000 were so scared that they were ready to run. Uh, and they did, right? And then God says, after 22,000 people leave, he says, uh, that's still too many people. So he finds this way to, to sift down uh, to where there are only 300 soldiers. And with those 300 soldiers, Gideon wins this tremendous, this tremendous victory for God. But, but what we're going to focus on in this text is, is the reason why uh, God, that God does this with Gideon's army. He he says it in verse 2. I think I'm still there. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give 
the Midianites into their hand. And that might lead us to think that maybe it's because God can't give the victory to so many, or maybe there's some kind of of tactic at play. But he goes on and he says, the people are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. And listen, lest Israel boast over me, saying my own hand has saved me. God is concerned about who gets the credit. He knows that if this giant army of 32,000 goes out and wins the day, that when all is said and done, they're going to look at that victory and say, you know what, I, I think we're pretty good. At, we're a pretty good army, aren't we? Or, or they might look at Gideon and say, man, you are an awesome general. Uh, they might say, I sure am glad you are so much bat- better than they are. You know, their general was. But listen, lest they boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. We talk a lot about people who get, who get credit, the credit life. Um, if you have a successful sports season, uh, you look back on the season, what do you say? You say, I wonder, I wonder how we did so well. Maybe it was the coach. Maybe, maybe we'll give the coach a raise. Or, or maybe it was the star player, or maybe it was just dumb luck like that year Michigan State did any good. <laughs> I had to throw that in there for, maybe Camille will listen to this. Or how about an election year? Uh, how about the election year when all of a sudden the president is responsible for the whole economy, right? It all rests with the president that year. And every presidential candidate is, he's either saying the economy is bad because of him, or it's good because of me. Uh so who gets the credit? And that's the question. It, matter, it matters who we assign credit to because, because that's how we give honor. That's how we give praise. And that's how we give respect. God is concerned with who gets the credit um, because God is concerned that he will not get the credit and the respect that he deserves. He's very vocal about that. In Isaiah 48, verse 11, he says, For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And in Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God is saying, I don't, God is saying, don't give other people praise when when I deserve it. Sometimes we feel that way, right? Um, we feel like it's an important thing for me to get the credit that I deserve and to give credit to others when they deserve it. So before we jump into that any further, uh, let's dispel one really serious misconception about this. When you look at passages like these we just looked at, and you see that God says, he says, my, my glory I will give to no other. Sometimes we get this vision of God as this power-hungry and glory-hungry God. But let's remind ourselves of what we've already read. He says it here in, in, in verse 2 of Judges 7, The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. You see, God is concerned about Israel. He is concerned that they 
will be led to think that they are doing more than they are and that they are better than they are. When God says, I will have the glory, it's not about him. It's about us. It's not, it's not good for us to take credit for things that are really God's doing. When God says this, he is pointing out to us that that's exactly what we tend to do. Let's think about some of the areas in our lives um, where we are tempted to take the credit away from God. Uh, when we need to remember that he is really and truly the one that deserves the credit. Who gets the credit for who gets the credit for our salvation? Anytime you read the stories of the of the big armies um, or these fantastic battles that are in the Old Testament, it conjures up these images maybe uh, because there's a likeness between between those things and the salvation of, of the Christian. Who gets the credit when Joshua and the army of Israel destroy Jericho? Uh, who gets the credit when David takes takes down Goliath? Well, if you listen to Joshua and if you listen to David, you know exactly who gets the credit in those stories. God does, right? God gets the credit. But here's here's the thing with with the battles when God when God gets the credit and delivers Jericho into their hands, the armies don't just sit back and, and, the, and put their weapons down and take all their armor off and, and say, well, let, let's see what God, let's see what God can do. They still have to fight, right? David still has to chop off Goliath's head. Uh, there still has to be a battle in Jericho. But when all that is over and you look back on it, you have to say, you have to say, God is the one who gave the victory. God is the one who deserves the credit. In the same way we talk about salvation, when we talk about Jesus' blood cleansing Christians, we have that, we have that same question, who, who gets the credit? Titus chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 3 here, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Notice that he describes a change from verse 3, right? Who we once were and all of those awful things that we used to be to, to now salvation that is offered is offered by who? He says in verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. And if we underline things in our Bibles, we should probably underline those three words. He saved us. Salvation is, is God's work. Uh, God is responsible. God gets the credit. God reached out. God sent his son. God offers, he offers mercy. But there are still things to be done by us. He describes 
in verse 5, the washing of regeneration most certainly refers uh, to baptism. He talks about in verse 8, which we didn't read, that we do good works, uh, that there are things still to be done. But the question is not, is not do we have to do anything like the Old Testament armies, the, the, like the Old Testament armies, the question was not, was not, do we have to fight? That wasn't the question. When we've done all the things that God has called on us to do, who, who is responsible for salvation? Who gets the credit? Well, the answer always must come back to God. God is responsible. God gets the credit, right? God gets the glory. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2 now, starting in verse, in verse 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his worksmen, we, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this is who we used to be. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse three, we lived in the passions of of our flesh. Verse four, but God. The question is, is what changed? Did did we change? No, we didn't change. God made a choice, but God in verse three, God being rich in mercy, God saved us. God reached out to us. God sent his son. And, And that is why in verse eight, he talks about credit for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God's gift is not something We deserve. It is not something we earn. We don't get the credit when, when somebody else. uh, We don't get the credit when somebody else gives us a gift, right? So who gets the 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 credit? The giver gets the credit. Um, Often we talk about Pat's awesome gift giving skills. Yeah, you're you're known for your gift giving skills. We all talk about what a great gift gifts you give. We always go, how does she know that? Even I didn't know I needed that gift. <laughs> the credit isn't in the gift. It's in the gift giver. And, and, that, and that's what I'm trying to say there. You know, in verse nine here, it says, it says, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Uh, you know, and that takes us back to Gideon where God says, lest Israel boast over me saying my own hand has saved me. They're saying, I did it. Look at what I did. He says, no one can boast because God gave them a gift. And that is the way uh, that God teaches us to view our salvation. It's my salvation um, in the sense that it pertains to me, 
but it's not my salvation in the sense that I did it. God gets the glory and and the credit. And God gets the glory, but there are still there are things that I still need to do. The gospel comes to me and I have to choose to accept it. Um, I have to choose to believe it. I have to uh, I have to choose to believe it because I believe it. I choose to turn away from my sins and I choose to repent of my sins. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to be different. I want to be born again. I have to be willing to uh, confess my faith and, and own that faith before others. Um, which is what I'm hoping to do, you know, by what I'm standing up at my job, right? I'm hoping to own my faith before others. I have to be willing to be baptized into Christ. Uh, Michael and I were talking about that this morning, but it goes, it goes beyond baptism. I have to then be willing to obey him and follow him as he teaches, as he teaches me and as he works in me, uh, and, and when and when this is all over and done, and someday we stand before the throne, and we hear, "Well done, good and faithful servant," who gets the credit for that? Well, that is God's doing. It's never mine. When God says that to us, how about the credit for for our growth, our spiritual growth? Philippians chapter one. If you want to turn there. Uh, when we first become Christians, the Bible describes us as newborn babes and, and that there's a process of growth that we have to go through. And all of us are at various stages of, of that process. Uh, all of us have different things that we are growing in at a particular moment. When we talk to, when we talk to new Christians, uh, sometimes we talk about some directions uh, for growth, and we see we see many of those directions in Scripture, uh, and we be, when we begin when when we become Christians to work uh, on our Bible knowledge, and and there are some habits that that need to be broken and replaced with better habits. Sometimes there are friends that we need to get rid of, uh, and over time, the Hebrew writer says that we learn to discern between between good and evil. It's, it's harder than it looks sometimes. Uh, and we begin to have what we might call a little bit of wisdom. And we start to make decisions better and better as we go. But if you've been a Christian for 10, 20 more years, and you look back, back you're, you very likely are going to see that you're a very different person than you were when you, when you first became a Christian. But who gets the credit for that? That, that you're a different person and hopefully a, a better person than you used to be. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, in verse 6, here it says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So who is working in us? It is not just our effort. But he says, he who began a good work will bring it to completion. And then if you go to the next page in Philippians chapter 2, here it says, starting in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who is at work 
in God's people. It is the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit that is is born out when we grow in love and joy and peace and patience. Um, it is Christ who is alive in us. When, when Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do you hear how in all of these statements that we've read, God is laying claim to our growth? If we are living in Christ, then Christ is living in us. And the changes we see, we cannot take credit for. The problem, especially in this culture, is that we believe in self-help. Uh, if you've got a problem, right, you go get a book and you go get to work. We can fix it. Just Google it. Did somebody's phones just light up when I said that, but since it's listening, so, somebody, somebody's got this answer, right? Um, and then we say, we say, um, we need to do this and we need to do that. Uh, when we do, and when we do those things, we see a little bit of success. And when we, when we see success, we say, I helped myself. Uh, look what I, look what I did. Um, I'm a better man than I used to be, you know, thanks to this book and my hard work. And we so easily take credit because of that for God's, for, for God's work. Sometimes we may think, um, and this has been something that I, I've thought about for, for me is we're just mellowing out with age, you know, that, that we're just not quite the way we used to be. Uh, and maybe we're just growing up or something. Maybe we're just getting old. And, and so that's, that's all it is. But in, in doing so, we deny, we deny the credit that God is claiming when we grow because we are following and listening to the word of God. Uh, when we grow because we're around other people who make us better, when we grow because um, our determined, our determined effort educated by God's word helped us. You can turn to uh, Deuteronomy 8 if you want to. Um, that'll be where we go next. Who gets the credit when I'm blessed and when I have what I need in life? Uh, Deuteronomy 8, it's a passage where Moses, Moses he's, he's speaking to the children of Israel before they enter the promised land, right? And they're going they're going from rags to riches. They're going from wandering in the desert uh, to this land flowing with milk and honey, right? They're going to go from living in tents to living in houses. They're going to live from, they're going from a small encampment to fortified cities. This is a big deal. But there are warning words in Deuteronomy. So in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8 here, starting in verse 11, it says, Take care lest you forget the Lord, your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was not water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might, be humble, he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. 
Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers, as it is this day. So when good things happen, um, these blessings from God, like Israel inheriting this beautiful, prosperous land, when things are looking up, um, he says, God says, be careful that you don't forget God and that he is the one who does it. Verse 17, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. The danger is, is, is we assume I'm the one who's working here. And, and if, if I'm successful and if I save and if I work hard, then I did all of that. And he says, beware of that. That that mentality eliminates God. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Um, and we really don't think about that, that do we? That, that it is God who empowers us to be able to do that, to be able to work, to have opportunities, um, to achieve what we want to achieve in our careers, to be the people who are successful um, as we are. God's the one behind it all. And he says, don't forget it. And this is a hard point for us because it's hard for us to say, I, I'm, I'm working, right? I'm working, but God's providing through my work. It's, it's so much easier to say, I'm working, so I'm providing. But when I have good things in my life, when I have the opportunities to be to uh, to be what I want to be, uh, when I have when I'm able to provide for my family, uh, what I want to provide, who who gets the credit for that? We were talking about that a little last night, weren't we? Uh, it might not hurt us to remember, though, that God lays claim. In James 1, verse 17, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God already lays claim every good gift and every perfect gift. We know where it's from. And it may come through, it may come through indirect sources, it may come through my work, it may come through um, another person who has given me something. Uh, it may be a blessing that I cannot explain. But I know where it ultimately comes from. I know who gets the credit because God says every good gift is from above. Um, who, gets the, who gets the credit for a happy home life? Ephesians chapter 5. This, uh, in, in Ephesians 5, it says that the section describes how Christians have a home life that is ordered. It is ordered uh, by the Lord. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife 
loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Sorry, I meant to skip that. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So notice how many times, how many times Jesus or, or Christ or the Lord is referred to, that wives submit to your husbands. He says in verse 22, as to the Lord. In verse 23, husbands, head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. In verse 24, as the church submits to Christ. In verse 25, as Christ loved the church. We see it over and over in the, in the husband and wife relationship. It is, it is redefined by Jesus and in and, and, and Jesus' actions for his people. Uh, but then in, in, in chapter 6, in verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And in verse 4, fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All of it centers around, around the Lord. When Christians, have, when Christians have marriages where they listen to Jesus, where husbands really love their wives and sacrifice for them, when wives truly submit to their husbands and respect and honor them, where children obey their parents in the Lord, where fathers bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, it goes well. That doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean there's no rocking of the boat in a home, that there's no crises or fires to put out. Um, but people in the world who look at a home like that, they look at it, at, at it with wonder. Um, how, how can that be, they'll say? How do people have... A home like that. And the question is again, we'll go back to it, who gets the credit? Uh, Who gets the credit when things are generally peaceful? When children are raised with the proper proper priorities in education? Uh, When they are disciplined to be the kind of people God has called them to be? When husbands and wives become an example of to those around them? Am I, am I just a good father because I'm such a visionary <laughs> or a genius, you know? Uh, I just, is it just because I automatically know, know what's best? Is it, because, is it because my wife is just so incredible or is it because these children, they never make, they never make any mistakes, right? We don't get the credit when we follow God's instructions and it goes well, Right? We don't get the credit when we follow God's instructions and it goes well. God gets the credit. He wrote it down. He's the one who gave it to us. And that's why Paul says, do it in the Lord. Raise your children, tend to your marriage in the Lord, and give God the glory. Again, there is still work to be done by us in these verses. And if, if we're not familiar with that, we're not thinking very hard as we read them. Um, There's work in those verses about changing my attitude toward my spouse, 
and my kids. Uh, there's work in those verses about how I discipline them and how I work with them. There's work in those verses for wives to learn to submit. And, and when that's an appropriate action, um, there is work. But when I've done all that work, God gets the glory. Uh, who gets the credit for a strong local church? And I can answer that for the world. Uh, they'll say, it's the preacher, right? They'll say, have you heard what's going on over there at so-and-so? They've got so many people. They've got a million members. They're doing really great, you know. Who's preaching over there? What's he doing? Who gets the credit? And, you know, who gets the credit, though, in God's eyes when a local church is strong? Um, Acts 11.21 here, it says, uh, it describes when Christians went down um, and, and they preached in Antioch, and it says, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Um, who is the author of that when, when that hand of the Lord is there and they are turning to the Lord? Who gets the glory there? And notice this. Look at this. In Acts 11, we don't even know who them is. Those people are anonymous forever. Now, Barnabas gets sent you know, to, to go and follow up, but that, it's not about them. It's about, it's about the Lord. Um, Closing up with a couple of, of passages here in First Thessalonians. Let's read this. First uh, Thessalonians, starting in verse uh, chapter one, verse two, he says, "We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers." And then going down to verse eight, he says, "For not only." Has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that way so that we need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then going to the next chapter in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, And we also thank God constantly for this. That's when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Notice two times Paul says, he says, I thank God for you. And he talks about the great things that the Thessal that the Thessalonians had done, um, how how that they had turned to God from idols, um, how everybody knew what God was doing because of their example, right? And then he talks about in chapter two, uh, verse thirteen here about the idea that that they received the apostles' word as if it was God's word, um, because it is. And he says, he says again, I thank God. Why does Paul thank God for the Thessalonians being so great? What does God have to do with it? Um, the Thessalonians did all the work. The Thessalonians turned to God from idols. Uh, the Thessalonians listened to the word. And at the end of the day, when a local church is strong, when people are, are connected to Christ, it's not about them. It's about the God who has called them to him. When a local church is strong, praise God, right? But not people. Uh, the elders are not responsible for a local church being strong. The preacher is not responsible 
for a local church being strong. We understand we have our work to do now. We, we understand leaders influence that and preachers influence that. And certainly, and certainly they can influence it in a way that leads away from God. But when things are, are going really well, when everything is exactly as it should be, who, who gets the credit? And praise God when local churches are what local churches should be. But he's the reason. And that's why Paul thanks God for them. So the story of Gideon uh, shows us a tendency in ourselves to try and take, try and wrest credit from God. Uh, if, we, if we will learn the lesson of, of giving God the glory and giving God the credit, it will help us to be more humble it will help us to worship because we'll have something to worship about. It will help us to be thankful to God. But most importantly, it will help us to be aware of the fact that God is still, he's still at work today. When you live God's way and things go well for you, when people like you because your speech is seasoned with salt and always with grace, when your life is is better because we don't get wrapped up in drunkenness and sexual immorality, when your family life is happy because you're doing your best to follow the will of God for your family, when you are part of a of a local church like this, a local church family that thrives as people are connected more deeply with Christ. Uh, when you have what you need because you are seeking first the kingdom of God, when people look at you and they say, how is all of that happening? Why is your life the way that it is? Um, don't think my own hand has saved me. Give praise and honor to God. He is the one who gets the credit. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.